morning. It is so good to be with each and every one of you, no matter where you're joining us from. Welcome to Northridge Church and welcome home to each and every one of you. And, you know, as we get rocking and rolling this morning, let me tell you about two best friends. Their, their lives were, were kind of set to be best friends because they were born in the same neighborhood, the same cul-de-sac. In fact, their families were friends, and so as little boys, they found themselves constantly playing together. They learned to share toys, they had shared experiences, they had a blast growing up in that little cul-de-sac. And so as little boys, what started, you could see this friendship blooming, and it grew over time. From elementary school to where they were in the same class, to middle school and to high school where they played on the same sports teams. They went to the same group hangouts. They were best buds, seemingly inseparable. In fact, they had a dream one day that they would start a business together and so they decided to, to go to the same college, study, study the same major. They went through college, they were best buds, hung out all the time, had the same group of friends, and eventually they both got married. They were, best, they were the best men in, in both of their weddings. Their, their families began to grow and hang out together. In fact, they bought houses in another cul-de-sac. It's kind of creepy, actually, if you think about it. <laughs> but eventually they got to the point where they started that business together. And that business thrived. It grew and grew, it took care of their families, they vacationed together, they were united together, nothing could separate them, or so they thought. Because one day, a huge business decision happened in the life of their company. And they both, as owners, wanted the exact same thing. For the future of their company, they wanted to continue to be successful, here was the problem. They both disagreed on how to get to that success. And they've been there before. Wasn't that big of a deal? They've had disagreements that they worked through, talked it out, but over the course of talking about it, the fights began to get a little bit bigger. The disagreements grew larger and larger. It started to get so bad in the office that they just avoided each other, started gossiping about one another. Their families, began to not hang out as much until they finally came to the decision that they would sell their thriving business and never speak again. And what's crazy is they both wanted the same thing. They wanted their company to be successful, but neither of them would budge on how to get down that road. And it broke what everybody thought was an inseparable relationship. And have you ever felt that in your life? Have you ever felt the weight and the power and the destruction of division? Maybe it's one of your friendships. Maybe it's in your marriage with your kids, in your business, or maybe it's even in God's church. You see, if you weren't with us last week, we started a brand new series called A Church That. And what we're doing over these eight weeks is we're casting a little bit of vision of who we want to be, who God wants us to be as a church. 
And we talked about last week with the, the, the blooms, right? We wanna be a church. Who we are becoming as individuals will ultimately determine who we are as a church. And in week one, we, we looked big picture, right? We said we wanna be a church that is family. And what we mean by that is we wanna offer anybody and everybody a, a place, a safe place, a welcoming place that you can come as you are and you can belong. And you can belong so that we can teach you the, the word of God so you can believe and learn to believe who God is and what he accomplished for us ultimately so that you and I together would look and become more like Jesus. And you've probably guessed it already, week two, as we cast a little bit more vision, we wanna be a church that is unified. A church that doesn't fight each other but fights for unity. A church that will lay down peripheral preferences for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would bet, I probably don't have to convince you over the last three years of how important unity is. With all the division that we've seen in our culture, in our families, and, and, and all over, right, how important unity is. But I was reminded of that last December. You see, December, I invited our uh, elders to my house for dinner. Our elders, if you don't know what the term elder is, they are the overseers of our church. They oversee the doctrine of our church, what we teach, that we remain faithful to God's word, and the direction of where we go as a church. And so I invited them, we meet once a month, and in December is, is usually a more celebra celebratory meeting where we just remind ourselves of how God has been faithful to our church. And so we had dinner, and I surprised our elders. I handed a, a card to them and their wives, and I asked them just to simply, with a pen and paper, write down, hey, if there could be certain things that would be true about Northridge Church in the next year, what would you want them to be? And so they took, you know, 30 minutes just writing down a bunch of different things. And I was amazed that night when I looked at the cards and I read all of them, every single one of them said that we as a church would experience unity. That we, in despite the division that is out there, in here, we would remain unified. And so what's interesting is that's a hard fight. It's a hard battle. In fact, division is not like a new problem to the church. It's an ancient problem. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, if you got your Bibles, you can turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is where we're going to be. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth. And the Apostle Paul is kind of this church planner, this early church leader. And what he would do is he would plan a church, put elders there, and he would minister to them, encourage them, rebuke them. And so here he's writing to the church in Corinth that guess what they're experiencing? Division. They're fighting to remain together and so he responds by writing this letter to the church, the local church in Corinth and it still appeals to us today as Northridge Church thousands of years later. Look what he says and you can almost feel his emotion in, as he pens these words in just the first couple words. He says, I appeal to you. I am like begging with you, church. I, I, I want you to know how important this is. I'm appealing to you. And then he says, who is he appealing to? He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so here you see that family language, right? He's not talking to his blood brothers and sisters. He's talking about, he's talking to the church, the believers in Christ, brothers and sisters who've been adopted into God's family. You see, we are adopted into the family of God when we make Christ our forgiver and our leader. We become the family of God. And so Paul is appealing to the church. 
He's appealing to Christians. And here's what he's appealing for. He says that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there would be no divisions among you, but that you would be perfectly united in mind and in thought. Paul is saying, man, I'm begging the church to come together to fight for unity. Now let me pause here because it would be really easy to read Paul's words and say, this guy is just calling for all of us to be robots, right? Where we just kind of like, we're brainwashed in the church to like think the same way and march the same way and look the same way. It'd be much easier if that was the truth, honestly. But that's not what he's calling for. He's not asking the church to be a a place where diversity isn't true. In fact, other places in the Bible, the, 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 the Bible has celebrated its diversity. And so what Paul is calling for here is unity, not uniformity. He's not asking us to think the same way, believe all the same things. He's asking us to come together despite our differences. In fact, the Bible talks about heaven being full of every nation and every tribe. You want to talk about differences. There are going to be a lot of differences about us in heaven. But here's what Paul is saying. We are different, but we cannot allow our enemy to use our differences against us. We cannot allow our enemy to divide us because there's diversity in the church. He says we should fight for unity. We should fight for it. And he says two things I'm longing for the church to experience. The first thing, that we would be perfectly united. Spiritually, religiously, righteously united. And and this Greek word here actually means to live, to function in a condition where you work together, where you work well. Where, where people let aside their peripheral preferences, the things that we often try to cling to, that we would let them go, surrender them for greater things, that we would function and row in the same direction, that we would be perfectly united. He also says that there would be no divisions. And here's what's interesting about the Greek. If you study the Greek, th- these terms are actually medical terms. When he talks about division, this was a medical term that doctors in his culture would use for a dislocation of like the shoulder or a fracture in the bone. And what Paul is saying is when something in your body is dislocated or something like a bone in your body is fractured, you know what you do? You heal it because if you don't, it will cause greater damage. And he's saying the same thing to the church. If there is fractures, if there is division among us and we don't heal it, it's going to cost the church of Jesus Christ. And he says, we gotta be united. But can I be honest with you? I just gotta be real for a second. That feels like a pipe dream sometimes. For the last like three years, I feel like my job was like chief breakdown division stuffer. (laughs) Like all I did was like wrestle with divisions that were everywhere, every angle. And honestly, I was like, are we really divided over this? And sometimes I'm like, can the church full of different people actually come together? Can I tell you the answer is yes, we can. Paul wouldn't waste his time writing this letter if it wasn't true. But how do we? How do we come together in our diversity? Well, I want to talk about two questions that I think we have to answer for that to be true of our church, for us to be a church that is unified. The first question we have to ask is where does division come from? 
What is dividing us and what is the root source? I don't wanna solve symptoms. I wanna, call, I wanna cut out the roots. I wanna pull out the weed, roots and all. In James chapter four, he talks directly to this. He says this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? I just think we should pay attention here because I know how all this works in our relationships, in my relationships, right? Like, hey, we're really good at fighting. We're really good at, at, at quarreling with others. And James says, well, you want to know what that is, what the purpose of that? He says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Your desire, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask God, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend on what you get on your own pleasures. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever read the book about James, what I love about James is he doesn't like soft serve anything. He basically just slaps you in the face with it. It's like, dang, James, you need to get a friend or something like that. And, and here's what James says. He says, you want to know what's causing division? You're not going to like the answer. He says, the root source of the division that we face in our church and in our relationships is selfishness. You know, we like to blame everybody else for the division. James like, uh-uh, turn that finger and point it at you. Because you can't be divided with someone who won't be divided with you. Right? Selfishness is one of the greatest problems. We would rather be right than be together. I'm going to say it again. The church today would rather be right and live in their rightness than come together under the umbrella of the gospel. That's a sad reality. Right? It's because we naturally are selfish, guilty, right? Come on, amen? You know what I'm saying? And here's what's crazy. This is how good the devil is at dividing us. Because James nuances this. He says, don't miss this, Christians, because here's what can happen. You can want a godly thing, a good thing, and you can go about getting that thing in an ungodly way, and you think you're going to produce solutions, but all I'm going to do is create division. Right? They're, 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 over the course of three years, we have seen this so true. We have seen people want good things. We have seen people chase after godly things, but they go about it with the wrong motives, and instead of creating solutions, they just divide the gap even farther. Things like God's justice, things like sound doctrine, these are things that we should want and desire, but how we go about getting them is just as important as the desire that we want. And James says, you can have the right desire with the wrong motive, and guess what it will create? Division in the church. Because here's what I believe. I don't think anybody wakes up and is like, you know what, sounds fun today. Let's just divide God's church, man. Come on, it'll be a good time. None of us wake up and are like, man, I just can't wait to create division in my marriage or in my business or with my coworker, right? We, we don't desire that. But what's interesting is often the choices that we choose and the motives that we use lead us exactly there, to division. And so where does division come from? It comes from our selfishness. It does. And, and, and Paul is trying to address this in this church. Look what he says. He says, my brothers and sisters, for some of you of Chloe's household had informed me that there are quarrels among you. Imagine the church fighting. I can't believe that one. What I mean is this. One of you say, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. And, and some people say the Bible is irrelevant. <laughs> Doesn't this just sound like the church over the last couple years, right? Like, hey, I'm just going to follow this person and this person. Oh, this person says this. And, they, you know, like we just, we kind of find ourselves and we wonder why we're divided. Ooh, and then Paul does something so powerful. Something that will penetrate your heart and my heart. He asks a simple question. He says, is Christ 
divided. Just let that seep for a second. Is Christ divided? That's a rhetorical question. It's an obvious answer. The answer is no, but then why is he divided in the church? Why is he divided in your home and in your relationships? You see, Paul is getting after division that doesn't belong in the church. And so he says, we got to first understand where division comes from. And then we have to ask a secondary question. How can we be united? How do we get to the place where we can stand up and say, hey, you know what? Northridge Church is a church united. That's who we're going to be. And that's what we're going to chase after. How does that happen? How can we be a church family that clings to unity rather than division? Because I don't know about you, but we should know this. Division is easy. Right? Division comes natural for us. We have to fight for unity. It's interesting, right? That imagery, fighting, right? You know what most of us fight for? Division. We, do. We, we are busy fighting, and what we are doing is we are fighting for division. But Paul says, actually, you should be fighting, not with each other, but you should be fighting to protect each other and bring each other together. And that takes effort and humility. It takes mature people letting go of good things for the sake of greater things. It takes a family that doesn't always have to be right, but needs to be together. And so how do we get there? Well, I'm going to give you three things that I think our church, that we as individuals and a body can do to fight for unity. The first one is this. I think we need to remember what unites us. We need to remember what brings us together. Remember what we stand under. Remember how God has changed us. And I love this word remember because it's so biblical. Do you realize in, in the Bible, remembering is such a actual spiritual discipline that over the course of the Old Testament and the New Testament, God tells his people over 240 times to remember. To remember his faithfulness. To remember his covenant. To remember his promises. To remember what his son did on that cross. And you see, when we remember who God is and we remember what he accomplished for us, it brings us together. One of the most unifying force, not, not one of, the most unifying force in all of history is the message of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ because when we realize what Christ has done for us, who we were and how he saved us, that message will bring us together. The gospel of Jesus Christ, we just sometimes just gotta remember who Jesus is and what he accomplished in our lives. This is why Paul says later on in 1 Corinthians, he says this, he says, for Christ did not send me to baptize but he sent me to, to preach the gospel, to preach the life-changing message of the gospel, to preach the unifying message of the gospel, not with wisdom or eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So Paul says, my mission here is to preach the good news of Jesus, because here's what I know, it'll change your life and it will bring us together. And look at the implications of salvation, of the gospel, right? Galatians 3, it says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. You want to talk about division, Jews and Gentiles? They had it. You want to talk about division, neither slave nor free. You want to talk about division, there is neither male and, and female. Why, why, why is that? For we are one, one in Christ Jesus. That's why we're called the body of Christ. The church is, we're not multiple bodies. We are the body of Christ. What that means is we are unified with different gifts functioning in the same direction because the gospel unifies us. And sometimes when you feel division and anger and bitterness in your heart, sometimes you guys just remember the gospel. You gotta remember what brings us together. The second thing you gotta do is you gotta remember who divides us. You have to remember who the real enemy is. 
You gotta remind yourself who you're actually fighting against. One of the greatest problems Christians have today is we've made people who aren't our enemy, our enemy. I think the devil, sometimes, I think over the last three years, the devil has actually had a nice vacation because here's what he did. He's like, wow, watch this. I can get the church to fight with the church. I can sit back, I don't have to do anything because they're doing it all for me. Right? Can I tell you today, your brothers and sisters in Christ are not your enemy. Can I tell you today, your spouse, your friends, other small groups are not your enemy. The world that doesn't get what we get is not our enemy. Do you want to know who our enemy is? I'll tell you. The Bible tells us. Don't listen to my words. Listen to God's words. Ephesians 6, he says, for our struggle, our fight, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Then can I ask you, church, why we battle with flesh and blood so much? He says, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Sometimes you just gotta remind yourself who you should be fighting against. Can I tell you, this practically has saved my marriage so many times. Here's what I know about um, speaking on a stage is oftentimes people like to put you on a pedestal. And here's my promise to you is I will constantly fight you to take me off that pedestal and put Jesus on it. Because here's the truth. If your faith is in me, I'm going to fail you. If your faith is in me, I'm going to let you down because I am just like you. I am a sinful man. And unfortunately, in my marriage, there are times where Ashley and I, right, I know because we live in a social media culture where everybody posts their highlights, you would come to this conclusion, like Ashley and Drew and their family, they just got it all together. Whew, yeah, about that. And here's the truth. There are times, and I'm not proud of this, where Ashley and I, in our marriage, we disagree. Where we get in fights. And I'm not talking about like, oh, I love you, baby, but I disagree with you, honey, fight. I'm talking about like we raise our voices fights. I'm talking about where we say things that we don't always, we, we want to take back things that aren't true, but we say them just to leverage the fight in our favor. Right? Well, this is real. Like, I promise you, I'm going to be real. I'm not going to pretend to be something I'm not. It's just a reality, and I'm not proud of it. In fact, I knew this was going to happen. Preaching on, on division, and guess what? Just yesterday, Ashley and I, we were in a fight. <laughs> Like, oh, good night, here we go, right? What are we gonna do? Obviously, it was Ashley's fault, but... Um, <laughs> babe, I seek your forgiveness. <laughs> and let me, let me tell you what's saved our, our marriage sometimes in fights. Where Ashley will remind me and I'll remind her sometimes in the middle of the argument, she'll look at me and she'll say, Drew, I'm not your enemy. Drew, we're in this together. Drew, God, we stood on that wedding altar and we said that God was taking two families and making them one. And so when you fight against me, you're fighting against you. Because I'm not your enemy. And sometimes, church, we gotta look at our brothers and sisters. We gotta look in our marriage. We gotta look with our friends and our kids and remind ourselves who the enemy is. And we have to fight him because the spiritual birthmark of a believer is a bullseye from the devil. The moment you cross the line of faith, the moment you say yes to Jesus to be your leader and your forgiver, the devil puts a bullseye on you and he wants to do anything to kill, ruin, and destroy you and divide what God put together. And we have to fight against him, not each other. 
And so we have to remember what unites us and we have to remember who we're fighting against. And maybe the hardest thing is number three, we have to learn to humble ourselves. I like to say this, humility never looked bad on anybody. And if you're looking for a good outfit to wear, clothe yourself in humility. Why? Because that's what our Savior wore. The Bible says when describing Jesus, it says that he left heaven, humbled himself, and became even obedient to death on a cross. And so the reason why we learn to live in humility is because that's the model, that's the example that Jesus set for us. But dang, humility is hard. Amen? Amen. I mean, it's so much easier to live pride out. We're good at that. And here's what we have to understand is when we, when we fight, there's this battle in our lives to live out pride or to live out humility. And we have to understand what those things fight for because your pride fights for yourself, but your humility fights for others. That's why Jesus clothed himself in humility because he didn't come for his rights. He laid them down in heaven, came to a messy earth, not to fight for himself, but to fight for you. And so many times, I just believe this, we would rather be right at no matter the cost. We would stand in our pride and our rightness versus laying it down and loving somebody else. Listen, don't get me wrong, there are fights to stand up for. There are hills to die on. But I think a lot of Christians over the last three years fought fights that Jesus wouldn't even fight. We gotta come together and one of the ways we do that is by humbling ourselves. And if you want to know if you have humility in your life, let me give you two evidences of it. The first one, when you mess up, you seek forgiveness. Who you want to kill your pride when you do something that is sinful, that is wrong against somebody else, you go to them and you say, I was wrong. I'm sorry and will you forgive me? Oh, that's hard. But you know what that does? in your marriage, in your family, in your business, when you own it and you go to somebody and say, I've sinned against you, I've gossiped about you, I talked poorly about you, I, I did something to hurt you, I want you to know I'm sorry and will you forgive me? Guess what that does? It brings unity. Because it will bring a marriage together. It'll bring a broken, it will bring reconciliation to any relationship because it crushes pride and it breeds humility. Another evidence of humility is to listen more and speak less. Can I tell you, if you have to dominate the conversation, you might have a pride problem. If you think that you're an expert on every topic, that the world just needs to hear what you have to say on social media or some platform, if they could just hear what is in your head, you might have a little bit of a pride problem. And did you know, this might be a newsflash to you, but you can actually listen and not respond. I'm serious, like that's a thing where you don't have to listen to somebody's argument and be like, hey, I'm just gonna think about all the ways I'm gonna refute what they're gonna say. You can just actually listen and empathize and try to understand where that person is coming from. If you always have to respond, you might have a little bit of a pride problem. Guys, one of the greatest prayers I have for our church this year is that we would be unified. And that starts with us not pointing the finger at all the division out there. It starts with us realizing that a lot of times our selfishness is causing the division. 
It's our journey to be right at all costs. And once we understand the root of it, we can get back to remembering what God has done through the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings us together. We can remember who our enemy is. We can humble ourselves and God through his power will bring this church together. I mean, I'm praying that we would be unified. And I know it seems like a pipe dream because out there, there's so many things that can divide us. Right out there, right? Like we can be divided over politics and where, who voted where and what they voted for. We can be divided over healthcare and masks and vaccines. We can be divided over racial stuff, right? But I don't know about you, but we don't follow culture in the direction they go. We swim upstream as Christians. And what would it be like for the church to show the community what it means to be together, to be united under the umbrella of who Jesus is? That is my prayer for our church. I'll read it to you. I've been praying this prayer ever since those elders gave me those cards. It's Ephesians 4. It's Paul's words. He says this, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you, Christians, Christ followers, to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. He says, guess what you're going to need? You're going to need to be humble. You're going to need to be gentle. You're going to need to be patient. Guess what? You're going to have to bear with some people. You're going to need all those things. Why? so that each and every one of us would do everything that we can, that we would make every effort to fight for unity. For unity. So I'll leave you with this question. You look at your life. You look at the decisions you've been making, the things that you've been watching, the choices that you have been making. Are you fighting for unity, or are you fighting for yourself? I love for us to think about that as the church. We are the church. We are Northridge Church, right? It ain't buildings, it's us. And so when you look at your life, you look at your actions, if you go to make that decision, if you go to have that conversation, will it lead our church to division? Or will it lead us to unity? Let's pray together. God, it's so easy to be divided, but it takes a fight to be unified. And God, I pray that you give us the perseverance, the endurance, the patience, the humility, and everything else that we don't even need, that we need it. We pray that you would give it to us so that we, as your church, would be unified together. As we look back, at this year, may we can say one thing is true, is that we are a church that is unified. In Jesus' name.